you'd open your Bible there this evening, please. Psalm 1. And uh, bring you greetings from uh, Faith Baptist at Faulkner. Uh, Pastor Frank was not able to be with us this morning. He's not been well. Uh, if you could pray for him. I believe he's shaking off a bad flu, which seems to be doing the rounds. Uh, also, I've been asked to bring greetings from Connell Park Bible Church, where we had a uh, good weekend of meetings two weeks ago. We had a men's breakfast and a Sunday, uh, Saturday evening revival and then Sunday services were well attended. And then last week we were with the uh, folk at MacArthur Baptist in MacArthur in Sydney, uh, out in the outer, I guess it's in the outer west. But uh, very sad news for the folk there at the church. While they send their greetings, the day that I arrived... Um, one young couple in the church, uh, uh, Brother Jarrah and his wife Jessen, uh, Denison, uh, they lead the young adults group at the church as well as uh, involved in a lot of their special music. And uh, Jessen, who is uh, 27 weeks pregnant, has just been diagnosed with uh, stage three breast cancer. And uh, over the week, we've been informed that she's going to be having uh, all kinds of chemo treatments and scans and things uh, with the baby still on board and uh, they're trying to sort of make decisions as they go along as how best uh, to do things. So as you have opportunity, pray for the Denison family, in particular for, for Jarrah and for Jess and his wife and their, uh, their little boy is eight months old and now 27 weeks pregnant. Uh, it's a very, very difficult time for them, a lot of big decisions to make medically uh, so pray for the doctors to have wisdom. Uh, we did get a good report from Pastor Richard Shellabear at Shoalhaven Baptist in Nowra. Uh, Brother Shells has had his first bout of immunotherapy. Uh, I was with them uh, on Father's Day this, this year and I had the blessing of taking Brother Richard to, for a doctor's appointment where he was given a good report and then a week later he received a bad report and the bad report was that he has uh, mesothelioma uh, stage 4 lung cancer. Uh, they have done a surgery to block off the leakage in the lung that's having the fluid build up, which has been very painful for him. Around about three to six weeks recovery time just from that. But they have begun immunotherapy for him, which the doctor said, if it's effective, may extend his uh, lifespan for six, to, six months to two years. But uh, we are rejoicing that he was able to be in church today and even rose to the occasion to be in church last Sunday. Uh, but the church there is, is uh, looking to the Lord to undertake for them. would encourage you to pray for them as you have opportunity. Pray for Shoalhaven, pray for Brother Shellabear, uh, and uh, a lot of big decisions again to be made for the church there. But we had some wonderful meetings. We were blessed to have visitors out and uh, very thankful. Uh, Brother Shells has been a good friend of mine for many years. I first met them when they were just... Uh, I guess you would say they were just helping in the church at Gospel Baptist in West Australia and then he went through their Bible college there and then out into ministry and uh, this year is his 20th year at Shoalhaven Baptist. Uh, he found out about his cancer on the fifth anniversary of his wife Margaret uh, going to be with the Lord uh, back in 2018. So it's been a very difficult uh, time for them emotionally but uh, we're very thankful they have a sweet spirit uh, resting in the Lord it encourages my heart. I sometimes like to have a bit of a pity party. 
you know, about how things how things are troubling me. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. I think it was taken from a clip of um, uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And it's got a picture of a man sitting next to Jim Cavaziel, who's the actor who played the role of Jesus. And he's all whipped and bloodied and, and beat, beaten. And uh, it's it, the little caption underneath says, me telling Jesus about how hard my life is. And uh, I, I need to be reminded of that often. And uh, I think the Lord allows the sufferings of friends at times to remind us whatever, whatever problems this little black duck has are pretty small compared to the struggles some of our uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord are wrestling with. And so we're very thankful for God's grace, which is indeed sufficient for every need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together, shall we, as we open the word together this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessing that's ours to open the word of God tonight, to meet together, to lift up our voices in song. Surely you have dealt graciously and mercifully with us that we should be allowed this privilege to come to the very throne of grace. And we would cry for help, for the Spirit of God to anoint the heart and the ear and the lips of thy servant, that we might speak and that we might hear that which is needful, that we might be built up in the most holy faith, that we might be drawn closer to thee, that you might, Father, graciously uh, expand and enlarge our vision, uh, not just for our own spiritual growth, not merely for the growth of our church, and Lord, how we long to see our church not only growing in grace and knowledge, but also to grow uh, in the size of the body, but also, Father, for our vision for the world to reach out into the lost and dying world, a world that is rife with confusion and conflict. And uh, these are days that are well and truly forecast in the scripture, and the word of God is true. And in these dark days, how glorious the light of the gospel can shine if we would but many times open our ears and eyes and even our mouths to speak that which is needful for souls that are lost to hear. Father, bless our time in the word tonight. We pray again and thank you for those who intercede for us. We thank you, Father, for the prayers of God's people. Thank you, Father, for our home church. Thank you for this opportunity to serve and worship together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, is one of these Aristotles belong to me? I haven't seen it. There's nowhere to leave any money. <laughs> Good, because I don't have any. But um, See my wife. She's the rich member of the family. Uh, Psalm 1. How many of us know Psalm 1? How many of us have read Psalm 1? Uh, not this year, but for many years it's been... Uh, a uh, practice of mine, a devotional practice, to read a number of psalms, five psalms a day over the course of the month, and then on the last day of the month to do Psalm 119. I've always been amazed at the, at the way in which the sequence of the psalms, even when dividing it by five, on the 1st and the 31st and the 61st and the 91st and the 121st, how the themes so often... I have a real, uh, a, a real, uh, what's the word? Likeness there. Yeah, I'll pull likeness. It's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat sometimes. It's terrible when you're getting old and you can't remember things. But 
but you know, the number of times I've looked over Psalm 1 and it just rejoices my heart to be able to say, I am this man. I am the blessed man. Our scripture says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." We begin here by considering the blessedness of the child of God. The blessedness, we could say, of the Christian life. Uh, many of your modern translations would say that this word blessed means the happiness of. Uh, not a very good translation, maybe a transliteration. In a more literal sense from the language, it's used in a plural. In other words, it would say there are a multitude of blessings to the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, that does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of the scornful. The blessedness of the Christian life. If you have gotten saved later in life, you have probably know the reality of this verse. If you were a lost, guilty sinner who had spent time in the world, and let me assure you, it's not a blessing to have spent time in the world. Those who are called early come easily. So, so thankful for tender young hearts that hear and obey the gospel early in life rather than going through the ravages of rebellion and sin and bringing uh, shame and scorn and scars upon their life. Uh, some of them that never repair, some of them that never heal, some of them that are always like ghosts of the past, haunting and at any moment seeking to, to sneak in and steal away the joy of the child of God in their walk with God. And if you have never been tainted by the reality of sinful conduct, of walking and standing and sitting in certain companies and, and uh, filling yourself up on, uh, shall we refer to these things or these three uh, elements as the philosophies of life, the indulgences of life, the counsel of the ungodly. The word ungodly many times you would say simply in the English language would mean without God simply a fusing together of, of two words, meaning without God. But the Hebrew language is very blunt. The Hebrew language means sinful, wicked. In fact, in one occasion, it actually uses an interpretation as concretely wicked. In other words, I mean, this is a person who has set themselves to do this. They are not merely ignorant anymore. You see, I'm a great believer in the simple testimony of the scripture from Romans chapter 1, which says, For the things of his God are they're clearly seen, being understood that by, the, by the things that are made. God has revealed. God says he has revealed himself. God says it is understood. God says it is clearly seen. And even if we want to be dismissive, just like these here, 
for the counsel of the ungodly that holds uh, God in contempt. For those who sit, who stand in the way of sinners, those who are in opposition to any godly counsel. They have gone from taking on the ungodly counsel to now making a part of their own personal agenda to oppose anyone who would bring godly counsel. And so they've gone from walking now to standing to the point now where we are sitting, where we are not just scorners. The idea of a scorner here has one who is reproaching, one who is attacking, one who wants to tear down that which is made known to them. And this is the world in which we live today. This is the world which we see around us today. I don't know if you've noticed this over the last two and a half weeks, but since the attack uh, in Israel, when this first became news media, there was a great sympathy toward Israel for suffering. When people were shown pictures and they very quickly removed them because, you know, we don't want to get people, you know, too emotionally involved in this. But we take away all the pictures of the, of the headless bodies and the young people at a, at a music festival and, and people being marched away to be brutally assaulted, sexually assaulted and all this stuff. And we want to get away from that. And now what we want to talk about is, is something that's happening rather than why it is happening. And the, and the news media spins this around. I mean, you know, you need to be careful. If you own a TV set and it's mounted on a cupboard at home, I mean, the ABC has moved that far left, it's going to fall off the cupboard one of these days because it just, I mean, it, it's just so, so raggedly unrighteous, indefensibly rude and offensive. Now, this is a great sadness because this is what we're talking about. We, we're in scorning mode. We're in scorn mode where when someone wants to raise up a subject of righteousness, something that is godly, something that is pure, something that is true, we immediately have to drown it with misinformation. Uh, I'm greatly concerned about our government going to bring in their misinformation act. I hope they're not going to let the RMIT interpret the Bible for us. I hope they're not going to hand it over to the idiots on Faceache or to Facebook, whatever you want to call it, and allow them to decide what is true and what is false. But here, the psalmist, very, at the very beginning of the great Jewish hymn book, he would begin by telling us, you need to realise there's two sides here, folks. There are the right and there are the wrong. There are the saved, there are the lost. There are the godly, there are the ungodly. There are the sinners, there are the scorners. Um, we've got all these people on one Now, you need to understand, you're on one side or the other. I am able to say to you tonight that at the age of 23 and a half, I changed sides. God graciously allowed me to run the flag up the pole and nail the colours to the wall that I am a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ and I do not have to live like I do not know God. I do not have to stand with the sinners. I do not and will not sit with the scorners. But there was a time even as a young Christian, I was still being constantly dragged by the whims of the, my own emotions and my own ignorance over here to being what I should not be. What does the scripture say? Ephesians chapter 4 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Is that a description of a saved man? 
And yet Paul is writing to the Ephesians and seems to be implying, stop doing this. Stop living like you used to live. I still remember, and I've often made reference to it, when Brother Ken Christian was our Sunday school teacher over at Croydon Baptist. We used to meet in the schoolhouse across the road and uh, I'd, I'd get there for Sunday school and brother came. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a little baby Christian. I'm, I'm just starting, ending my first year of Bible college and yeah, I've still got a lot to learn. And brother Ken would talk about the book of Ephesians is all about raw material Christianity. The whole of the first three chapters, he said, and then he begins to summarize it there in chapter four, he says, but it's all about the raw materials, how God takes these people and graciously saves them and seals them and sanctifies them. And he'd run off all these. He, he, he was a good teacher, Brother Ken. He was a blessing, still is a blessing. And, and you know, but he'd rattle off a, a great big line of S's. Maybe that's where I got it it from you know this idea of of alliterating but it was just amazing because as he was teaching I could see this was God working in my life this was God tearing down I mean I spent my first year in Bible college there were days when I'd come home I'd be so upset we'd have a test and I'm in a classroom with 16 kids who have come out of high school some of them have been in uni some of them done all kinds and they're educated but I'm a school dropout I've never done a day of homework in my life. Every, every pass I ever got in the police force, in the nursing academy, I only got where I was getting because I cheated. I mean, there's always an easy way to do it. And then it starts to find you out. You get to Bible college and you've actually got to learn something and you've got to do things differently. No more peeking over to see what the other guy's written down. If you're cheating off Brother Carroll, you're going to be wrong anyway. But <laughs> so, you know, you've got to be really careful about this stuff. But, you know, the reality was you know, God had to bring about real change in my life. I, I had to, I'm coming home from college. I was saying, I'm coming home feeling overwhelmed and discouraged and depressed. What do I do? Well, I'd like to tell you, I went and sat by my window with my Bible and I kneeled down before the Lord and I poured out my heart to the Lord and I, I said, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed and, and, and I'm discouraged and I can't keep up. And, and, you know, they're all comparing. He got a 96, he got a 97, he got an A minus, he got an A plus. And, and they're arguing about, and here I am with my little C. Here I am with my D plus. Here I am with my 71, my 72. I'm as pleased as punch. And then these people start talking in 90s. I feel, I feel like I'm just out of my... I didn't do that at all. I went home and I put on my Alice Cooper or my Wings Over America or my Moody Blues and I turned my headset up on my stereo and that's why I have to have hearing aids today. I spent the next couple of hours having a pity party, blowing my brains out and ruining my eardrums, listening to the world music because that was supposedly going to come. I, it was at the beginning of my second year of Bible college where someone actually challenged me about the philosophy of my life being moulded by the music that I listened to. Ungodly counsel. Standing with sinners. Suddenly you find yourself in sympathy with people, but you're on the wrong team. And you're marching, you're marching like a, like up a dead end street with a one man band. I mean, and you, you just, you've got it all wrong. You need to say, hang on, what does God say? Blessed is the man that walketh not. And the stark contrast is, but, oh, how that little word changes things, does it not? Brother John, my fruit trees this year covered in flowers. 
but I've got no fruit. What happened? The bees. The bees didn't turn up. You should have seen me a few weeks ago like a goose out the front with a bug catcher trying to catch a bee to take it to the backyard to stick it on my fruit tree. I'm serious. The wife says, what are you doing? She says, I'm going to catch a bee. I caught one. I took him out the backyard. I brought him over next to my cherry tree with all those beautiful pink flowers and I opened it up and he took off back straight through the garage out to the front yard. There's an ornamental cherry tree out there. It doesn't bear any fruit. There's nothing. You couldn't even eat the leaves off it. And I'm thinking, hang on, mate, come back. Come back. A lot of Christians are doing that. They keep going back to that which is non-productive. But, oh, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Let me ask you, where do you get your philosophies of life? Where do you get your doctrine from? I listened to a tape just recently where a man said uh, he was advocating uh, how wonderful it was to be uh, a reformed Christian. And by reformed, he's talking about being amillennial. There's no literal thousand-year reign. Uh, you know, they, they, they basically make toys out of all the different prophecies of the Bible. And he said, well, the first thing you do is you read your Bible. Okay. And then after you've read your Bible, you'll be reformed. Well, I think we touched on this just recently when I preached here, that knowing is not enough. There are a lot of people running around that have got a lot of Bible knowledge, but it hasn't changed their life. It hasn't impacted on their heart. It hasn't wounded their spirit to make them cry out to God and say, Lord, I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I'm a sinful man. To be like, like Peter and fall down at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. Please, you, know, you don't want to be in the company of this foolish, sinful man. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, good idea, Peter, see ya. When you and I, when we delight in the law of the Lord, in the word of God, it brings about change in our life, but change that is obvious, not change that is obscure. Now, I, I'm deeply concerned for the number of people we have in churches today who are very obscure in their testimony and their knowledge and their possession of Christ. Are they even really saved? Do they actually know Christ as Saviour or is it just talk? Is it just speak? You know, we get the lingo. There's actually a special going around at the moment that you can watch on some documentaries and it's called The Jesus People. And back in the 70s in the United States, it, it became a worldwide phenomenon. But it began in a little church in California where a bunch of hippies who were fed up with smoking dope and sleeping around on the streets and that decided to go and accept an invitation from a preacher to come to church and see what was different. And they came along to this church and they heard the message of the gospel and they made decisions for Christ. And it was all very wonderful that all of a sudden we had this massive movement across America where everybody from the Beatles to the Beach Boys, from the bar rooms to the beaches, was supposedly getting saved. But where was the fruits of the righteousness? Where was the godliness? Where was the holiness? I mean, as I've said to people before, the Jesus of the modern era seems to be the Jesus of a Mexican phone book. He doesn't seem to bear much resemblance to the Jesus of the Bible. 
The Jesus of the Bible who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. So if we get into the Word of God and we begin to become more like the Son of God, and that is God's goal, then many of the philosophies of the world and many of the philosophies and doctrines of the world that are imposed on the Bible rather than taken from the Bible will see a huge difference. Brother Eccles is one of my champions of the faith who likes to remind people nobody ever became a Calvinist from reading the Bible. You become a Calvinist from reading another Calvinist. And then you go and pick up the books by these so-called reformers. And then when you sit down and you finally reach the A class where you've read Calvin's Institutes, let me know if you ever find the man giving a testimony of actually being saved. A learned man, a deep thinking man, a, a real philosopher, some would even say a theologian. Well, what is a theologian? Well, theos is God, and logi has to do with the, the word of God or the God of the word. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, Herod Agrippa was expert concerning all the manners and the customs of the Jews. He knew all about the prophecies. He knew all about the history. He knew all about the Levitical priesthood. He knew all about the Aaronic, about the, the Melchizedek. He knew all about the prophecies. He knew all about all the proclamations. He knew all those things. He knew everything there was to know about it, but he was still a lost man. You've probably heard them say, you know, that there are well-dressed fools, but there are also well-dressed foolish ideas. Be careful. Make sure you get your doctrine your teaching, your direction, your life principles, your life philosophy has got to come from the Bible. Otherwise, I can tell you right now, my friend, you will not be the blessed man. And you may already be masquerading as a blessed man and you are not blessed. You are not blessed because you are not in accord with the truth of the Word of God. Now we come to the third verse. Where's the fruit? The blessedness of the Christian life. The bounty that he speaks of here, he says, But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Here's a man who is feeding night and day. That, that's not talking about that you spend all day long like you're in a, a monastery somewhere, you know, wailing away, looking at all the scriptures. No, but yeah, this, this has the idea of a consistency. That this has become a habit of life to spend time with God, to spend time in the Word and allow God to minister to your heart to help you to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. That's what that very next verse says in Ephesians chapter 4. But ye have not so learned Christ, verse 20 of Ephesians 4 tells us. That you and I, Peter says, we're to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ even if it's through a time of suffering. Here is talking about a time of blessing. The blessedness of this man is that he's like a tree, a fruitful tree. The beautiful scenery that we can paint in the imagery of our mind of this tree by the water's edge and the beautiful green leaves reaching out and giving shelter and abundance and the fruit there in abundance. How fruitful are our lives? How fruitful are the lives? Uh, remember Brother Steve Wivel used to sing that song, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Saviour so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Where's the fruit? You see, here in this psalm, it talks not only about the blessedness of the Christian life, but dare we make reference here to the boundaries of the Christian life? In order to be fruitful, 
obviously there's going to be some things you should do or shouldn't do. There should be some places you should go and shouldn't go. You meet a lot of Christians uh, in itinerant ministry when people come to visit. It's amazing how many people I've met over the years who don't belong anywhere. And yet they will affirm, you know, quite, quite sternly that, yes, I am a Christian. Can you really be a sailor without a ship? Can you be a cook without a kitchen? Can you be a soldier without an army? I mean, a child of God without the house of God, without the fellowship of God's people to strengthen him, to encourage him, to uphold him? The boundaries. Can I ask you this evening, what boundaries have you put in place in your Christian life? We have parents here tonight. Those of us who are parents, you may remember the boundaries you put in place for your children. Boundaries are good. What does the world say about boundaries now? My boundaries bad. Boundaries bad, sir. You're, you're suppressing them. You're suppressing them. That's why when I drive down the Monash Freeway, I see all these people have been suppressed for years, now expressing themselves with their art all over the road and all over the signs and all over people's fences and, and say, you know, well, this is good. This young man has expressed himself. It's, it's filthy language and it's offensive and it's indecent and it, it makes me hopping mad, but I'm rejoicing that he is expressing himself. Wrong fruit, folks. Boundaries. We need to have boundaries. You look at the world today in this gender dissimulation that we have. What's the whole, whole purpose of that? Just move away the boundaries. How many of you have heard the cliche today that, you know, the best way to bring up a child is to let all the village, you need to let the village bring up your children. That's the government's, the village. I've got news for you, folks. We've seen what the village produces and we don't want the village coming anywhere near our kids. The village can stay out there and we'll stay here, thanks very much. Okay? Have you drawn boundaries in your life concerning things you will or will not do, places you will or will not go? I spoke with a young man just recently. I hadn't seen him for several years. And, uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, the struggles he'd had. He'd had a marriage breakdown and he'd really gone away from the Lord for about 10 years and, and you know, just really in a mess. And he's trying to rebuild a relationship with his, with his uh, kids who are now, well, they're not children anymore. They're all adults. They're all in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, and he, he's wrestling with trying to do all this. And, and then I said, so, you know, so what are you doing next weekend? I said, you know, will you be? Oh, no, I won't be at the, the, at the uh, meetings next week. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going out with my son. I said, oh, that's good. Praise God, that's good. Yeah, spend some time with him. It's good. I said, maybe you could bring him to church. That'd be even better. I said, you want to have time with your son? Why you bring him to church and then you can? And he said, oh, well, no, this is a particular thing. We've got to be at a certain time. I said, okay, that's fine. So he goes to a Paul McCartney concert. Well, that'll help you. That'll help you. All you Beatle fans out there, sorry, I hope I didn't ruin your Christmas present, but no, uh, you know, Seriously? Do you really think taking yourself back to the 60s and 70s and jiving away is going to really help you grow spiritually? Is it going to help your children? If it's not going to help you, what's it going to do for them? Folks, the rock revolution of the 50s, 60s and early 70s didn't do anything morally for the world that I grew up in. What makes you think it's going to do something for you now in the, in the 20s? It's a funny world. We need to draw some boundaries. 
Someone told me recently that one of the biggest problems they have in their church is social drinking. Social drinking. And it all began with a group of the young people from their church who started going to a particular mega church whose initials are Hillsong, where they were encouraged by people in positions of leadership to be social drinkers for the sake of making contact with people. So you go to the bar room just for the sake of sharing the gospel. Let me tell you something. I tried that as a baby Christian. I tried going and talking to my old mates in the pub back in my hometown and I got laughed at. I used to tell people in the six weeks after I got saved, before I stopped drinking and then started going to the pub and drinking lemon squash and raspberry pop while I'm shooting pool, I got in more fights in that six weeks than I had in the previous 12 years. People don't go to the pub to hear the gospel. And they're not interested. A man with a skin full of fosters is not interested in the joy of the Spirit in your life. He's interested in the joy of his cup of misery as it's going flat on the bar. That's all he's interested in. And yet somehow people today think we've got this lifestyle evangelism where we need to go skinny dipping down at the local beach or we need to go, you know, run amok. Don't go to church on Sunday. Go and walk in a marathon or take your dog in a doggy walk or, or take up some, some activity. Play golf, you know, go fishing. Do something where you're out there with all the others. Hey, listen, I've played golf. The trouble is there's me on this side of the course and all my friends are on that side. And so I hit my ball to go over that side and then I'm over that side and they all hit their ball to go there. And I begin to think we're practising separation. It's not working. These are life philosophies. We need to get our philosophies from the Word word of God. There is no excuse for godlessness and worldly philosophy in this church. This church has been well grounded and well taught in the teachings of the scripture for many, 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 many years. I could have said for many, many years, but for many, many years and many years before many. And so you understand, we come behind in no gift. The Corinthians were a carnal lot because that's what they chose to be. And Paul said, I can't speak unto you as even unto babes. I've got to speak to you as carnal. Because you're fleshly, you're worldly. It was a nice way of saying you're disobedient and rebellious. You're not obeying the Spirit of God. You're not obeying the Word of God. You're not following after that which the Spirit of God would have you to follow. You're following the rest of the world. It's so easy to go back into our old life. It's so easy to think our old thoughts and then suddenly find that we've set our affections not on things above but on things beneath. What's your life philosophy? Is it guarded and grounded in the Word of God? The boundaries of the Christian life. But it brings us to this, and this is, I think, the most important part for those of us who are concerned for the lost. It says the ungodly are not so. In stark contrast to an unwithered leaf and a promise of prosperity in whatsoever, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff. As they're threshing out the wheat or the barley, the husk as it's broken open and these fine little, tiny little leaves around it are are simply driven about by the wind. The best day for the winnowing was done when there was a breeze blowing. 
so they could have all this stuff and the breeze would simply blow them. It was worthless. Oh, you could use it for cattle feed, but in order to use it for cattle feed, it had to be mixed with something else. Maybe with some olive oil or mixed with some molasses or some other substance in order to be able to be at least useful as cattle feed. It's worthless. Brother Buddy used to say it might be golden chaff, but it's still chaff. Some people say, oh, it's gold. No, it's still chaff. And these people who says the ungodly are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Here's the burden of the Christian life. The blessedness of the Christian life is, praise God, I don't have to live after the fashions of the world. I don't have to follow the philosophies of the world. The boundaries of the Christian life, I know what God requires of me. I've learned it from his word. I'm guided by his spirit. I'm encouraged among his people to live godly in Christ Jesus. And I know it's going to cost me something. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But it's worth it. But the sadness here is that the ungodly are not so. They cannot stand in the judgment. A very, a very vivid picture here of a prisoner being brought before his conqueror. And being brought before his conqueror, he is laid down and the, and the conqueror puts his foot on the neck of the enemy before he executes judgment. Their situation of the lost in this world is hopeless without Christ. Without the message of the gospel, and where are they going to get that from? They're not going to get it from the world. They're not going to get it from Faceache. They're not going to get it from the ABC or any other television company. They're not going to get it from the rock stars and the pop stars who stick their head out the window and their finger to the wind to see which way it's blowing and then they decide. They're going to put their glasses on to see who's in the congregation before they open their mouth just in case there's somebody there that might get upset with them. Well, I think it's about time God's people started upsetting some people with some old-fashioned truth. That if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you will die in your sin. You will perish. You will be lost forever. That's exactly what it says here. But the ungodly are not so. The way of the ungodly shall perish. One of my favourite object lessons is the concept of perishing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Peter says in 2 Peter in chapter 3 and verse 9 that the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. In the context of the Bible, that word perish means to very simply die in your sin. If you do not turn from your sin, if you do not turn in repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin and you will go out into a Christless eternity forever. There will be no second chances. There will be no, let's try that again. There will be no coming back. You're not going out into the cosmos to become a star. You're not going to fill up some of the angelic bodies of the Mormons. You're not going to come back as a, as a rooster or a cockroach or a rat or a rabbit. You're going to die in your sin and you'll be just like the man in Luke 16 who was in hell and was in torment and was crying out for a messenger to go to his house and the message was simply told if they wouldn't hear the word of God, neither would they hear if one rose from the dead. Guess what? Someone rose from the dead. His name was Lazarus. 
And you know what they wanted to do? Kill him. Kill him again. Imagine Lazarus sitting there saying, really? Really? You're threatening me with paradise? Jesus died and rose again. It's the most attested fact in human history. Multitudes of men and women of great scholarly learning have tried to disprove the resurrection of Christ and have come out the other side believers. Convinced that this is God's truth. As I pointed out at the NBF, this is salvation in Christ is where we get acceptance. Acceptance before the performance. In the world, all the world's religions, you do certain things and maybe get accepted. Maybe. Hey, Brother Ron, how many years have you been coming to church? Oh, about 5,000. Yeah. Well, you might just get to heaven on your church attendance. No. Hey, Ricardo, you're one of the most clean living men I've ever met. God bless you, brother. You think your good works will get you to heaven? No, they won't. But when you trust Jesus Christ, your Saviour, we are already in him accepted in the beloved. And I don't live a godly life to get acceptance. I live a godly life because I've got acceptance. I'm not proving that I'm going to heaven. I'm simply trying to show God, Lord, this is how much I love you because of the new life you've given me. And I've got new life in Christ. The old things have passed away. The old things are becoming. But there are multitudes we know that do not know this. This, beloved, is the burden of the Christian life. And over the course of the coming week and over the coming of the next two months as we come up to the Christmas season, the opportunities to speak of Christ, to speak of the gospel, to speak of the reason and the purpose of his coming will be in abundance for God's people. And this is one of the times of the year where we ought to get really excited about the opportunities to share Christ, to preach the gospel, to tell people the good news. The Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, who was delivered for our offences and raised again for our justification. Folks are dying in their sin, not just in Gaza, not just in Israel. There are people all around us in the very communities in which we live who are dying in sin, dying without hope, dying without mercy. And we have the opportunity to bring them the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, you know what the world's philosophy says? You start talking about Jesus, you'll lose friends. Your neighbours will shun you. Your friends will keep distance. Your family will keep you. you know, nobody wants it. All of a sudden, that's the world's philosophy. What's God's philosophy? God's philosophy is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This morning we looked at the woman at the well and you ever notice Jesus didn't do some miracle with the woman at the well? The Bible actually refers to her as a worshipper. She confessed to be a worshipper. She was lost. Churches around this country today have been filled with people worshipping, but lost. Maybe to them the Lord would say the same as he said to her, ye worship, ye know not what. You're going through a ritual without having a relationship. This is our message. We don't just have a religion. 
We have a relationship with the true and the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. Is that a burden to you? Does that weigh heavy on your heart and mind that multitudes are dying without Christ? And in between now and next Sunday, an opportunity may well come your way for God to give you an open door to speak to some poor lost soul. Maybe a friend. Maybe a friend you've been friends with for years and you've never, ever raised the subject. Maybe you did years ago and you got your head bitten off and you've pulled your head in ever since. But maybe over the last five years or so, God's been working unseen by your eye, unknown in your mind in the heart of that person. And they're ripe. And they're ready. And what they need is a willing servant to open the scripture to them. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your precious word and your wonderful son. We are so unworthy and undeserving of the great grace that is our portion that the Spirit of God would convict us of our sin, open our ears and our eyes and take away our dull understanding and allow us that we might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We thank you for the growth and the change that you bring into our lives as we obey the word of God. And Father, it's our longing that friends and loved ones and people round about us may know the joy that comes of having eternal life in Christ, the assurance that belongs to the soul that knows a living Saviour, the living Saviour, the Son of God. Lord, I pray you would burden our heart for people this week. Help us to check our philosophy of life, look at the boundaries that we've set or perhaps not set and ask ourselves a simple question, am I really walking in the light of his word or am I still walking after the old philosophies of life? Am I still obeying the ungodly counsel? Am I still standing in the way with sinners? Am I sitting in the seat of the scorners? And when the word of God is opened or read or spoken, do I sit in defiance to it rather than in obedience and submission? Lord, I pray you'd have your will and your way. Be pleased to use us for your glory this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.